This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Happy weekend, political junkies. A whole lot of stuff going on this week in Lansing. For starters, uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer blasted the Michigan legislature for absconding, for leaving town, for taking too much of the summer off. They've got days scheduled when they're supposed to come back in session, if need be, uh, scattered over the next couple of months. But basically, they've kind of recess for the summer without passing a budget for the next fiscal year, which starts on October 1st. So Governor Whitmer blasted the legislature for taking a, quote, vacation, unquote. Uh, We've seen this scene before. Uh, You may remember just six years ago, back in 2013, Governor Rick Snyder, Republican, with a Republican-controlled state House and state Senate, was furious because senators uh, in that year, summer of 2013, decided we're going to leave town, and uh, Governor Snyder wanted them to stay and work on some important things like Obamacare and Healthy Michigan. Uh, The budget wasn't an issue because it was a point of pride with Governor Snyder and the Michigan legislature to get that pretty much done by the middle or end of June, which they did. But then they took off for most of the rest of the summer, as they do just about every summer. This is the legislature, and the governor was furious, so furious that he paid for billboards to be mounted around the state in key senators' districts excoriating the senators for being AWOL from Lansing and not doing their job. Well, that didn't go over too well, you can imagine, with members of his own party, Republican senators um, who were getting ready to have to run for re-election, most of them in 2014, the next year. So uh, they let the governor know this is not acceptable, back off. And, by the way, uh, Rick Snyder did eventually get healthy Michigan on a very close vote. So the legislature did cooperate. But the point is, folks, this goes on intermittently over the years and decades that governors uh, are frustrated when they can't get the legislature to do what they want the legislature to do. And if the legislature doesn't meet... uh, the governor is set up to take a few swipes or shots at the legislators claiming they're not doing their job. Well, you can always make the case that a legislature uh, or individual legislators are always on the job when they're not actually sitting in their seats on the floor of the House and Senate chamber in the state capitol in Lansing. They're back in their district. Uh, They're meeting with constituents. They're meeting with groups and organizations in their district, which they have to do, uh, mixed in with their work in the state capitol. And they have to do this year-round, but the summer is the best time for them to do a lot of this. It's not as though they leave Lansing and go off to the beach somewhere or uh, fly to Monte Carlo or Rio de Janeiro for a vacation. No, that's not what happens. 
So this is a lot of fun and games uh, amounting to nothing. Now, uh, item number two, uh, Donald Trump, how is he doing in Michigan? Well, he trails uh, most of his important Democratic rivals, uh, potential nominees for the Democratic Party, including principally, obviously, Joe Biden. But this week, uh, this was really fascinating to me, fun, uh, or maybe not so much fun if you're a Republican or you're Donald Trump. Uh, Public uh, policy polling took polls in uh, four states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, and they pitted President Trump versus Dracula and also against Attila the Hun and also against a zombie. Uh, Now, the questions were rather uh, slanted, shall we say, because they basically said – if you had a choice between Dracula, who supports uh, the expansion of health care and protection of pre-existing conditions, uh, as opposed to Donald Trump, who does not support uh, expansion of health care and uh, is against giving people coverage for pre-existing conditions, who would you pick? Well, Dracula won 45 to 41 percent. The zombie won 46 to 42%. Only against the till of the Hun did Donald Trump break even. Uh, I think it was 42-42. Now, third item, Laura Cox, uh, state Republican chairman, is a former ICE agent. Did you know that? She was an immigration and customs enforcement officer back in the day, 20 years ago before she got into politics. Well, Uh, The state Republican headquarters in Lansing was smeared with graffiti this week, two straight days, excoriating Laura Cox uh, for being an ICE agent and uh, a lot of obscenities. And Laura Cox was not pleased and blasted back. Uh, I don't know where this is going to lead. I don't know if anybody's going to get arrested. Benton Harbor School District, we've talked about that on this program Uh, Gretchen Whitmer said she would give the Benton Harbor School District a week to come up with a plan on how to dig themselves out of an $18 million hole. They didn't uh, dig themselves out of the hole, but they said and did enough to convince her, I'll give them a year uh, to meet certain benchmarks that I will establish or my Treasury Department will establish And if they do that, um, I'll allow the high school to continue to be open. We won't close their high school, and we'll keep the district intact. Uh, The Senate and the House uh, Republican majorities are still looking for money in the seat cushions and anywhere they can find it uh, to try to come up with uh, enough money to fix the damn roads Uh, Gretchen Whitmer, as I think everybody knows, wants to hike the gas tax 45 cents a gallon. That's not going to happen. The question is, what is going to happen? She claims $2.5 billion a year needed to fix the damn roads. And so the legislature is looking at things like securitization and uh, postponing paying off the state's debt. One other big development this week didn't happen here in Michigan, but it had big effect in Michigan, and that is the 5-4 to four very close decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to basically throw out 
the lawsuits involving gerrymandering in the states of Maryland and North Carolina. And the ripple effect from that impacts the states of Ohio and Michigan, where lower federal courts had earlier in the year, as I think everybody knows, said uh, gerrymandering had been present in Michigan since 2010 and ordered new district lines to be drawn for the state house, the state senate, the U.S. House, and raised the possibility that there would have to be new elections and new districts in 2020, including maybe even the state Senate, which is not scheduled to run again until 2022. Well, that's all out the window now because the ripple effect from the U.S. Supreme Court uh, basically says we are not going to get tangled up in this can of worms, which is reapportionment, redistricting, gerrymandering, whatever you want to call it at the state level. That is up to the states to take care of themselves. Uh, They can fight it out in a state Supreme Court if they want to. They can set up independent commissions, which, by the way, we have done here in Michigan already by approving Proposal 2 in November of last year. Uh, So uh, forget about elections for the state Senate next year. The state Senate... Uh, is going to continue on for the rest of their four-year term that began in January of this year and extends through 2022. I'm going to be back in a minute with our first guest. We're going to have some fun with what she's going to have to tell us. Thank you. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with a guest from Washington, D.C., I believe. Uh, she's in Washington, Jill Gonzalez, analyst with Wallet Hub. Welcome to The Political Insider, Jill Gonzalez. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to ask you, what is Wallet Hub and, and what do you do? WalletHub is a consumer-facing website. It really helps people make educated financial decisions, whether it's picking a new credit card, uh, comparing different schools, um, looking for places to relocate. So that's, I think, that last reason why we're talking today. Well, you've come up with a really interesting wrinkle uh, that you've been uh, engaging in for some time, uh, and that is these polls that you do. Um on a national basis where you rank states on a variety of issues and subjects. Um, And I wanted to start by alluding to a poll I think you took, maybe it came out last week, I'm not really sure, on uh, America's top beach towns. And I noticed um, that there are a couple of Michigan beach towns on your list. Could you tell us, I mean, first of all, before we even get into beach towns, I mean, how many of these polls do you do, let's say, in a calendar year, or does it vary, and how long have you been doing that? So they're not necessarily polls. They're more like studies. They look at existing data, typically from everything from the census to uh, the BLS, FBI, Kenny Health Rankings, the EPA, all of these different things, depending on the study. Uh, so we really gather existing data, weight it, and rank it accordingly. 
So we're not actually, you know, polling people here. These right. are based on uh, quantitative numbers. And we do about three to four a week. They take, you know, we, our research team takes typically around three months on each one. So definitely a lot of rotating categories going on here. And you've been doing this several years? Yes. Wallet Hub was established in 2012. Yeah, this sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, you come up with some really interesting issues. Um, what about the one on beach towns? What did you come up with? So when it comes to beach towns, obviously, I think this is the season when people are heading to the beach. A lot of times they're thinking, you know what? I wouldn't mind this year-round. So we looked at around 200 cities across over 60 indicators of livability. And then we split that comparison into two categories, towns by the ocean and towns by lakes. So the Michigan cities obviously would be in that latter category. And so what did you come up with? Well, Michigan did pretty well here. It had one city rank at number one, another rank at number four. So, again, really good across the board. And those two were? Number four was Holland, and number one was Traverse City. Wow. So how many were on the list altogether? I mean, you, those are the top five. Uh, you, you mentioned Michigan gets one in um, fourth or fifth. How many altogether did you have on your list, like 50, 25, 100? So there were 200 overall, then split into the two categories. There were 46 in the lakes category. In the lakes category. Did Michigan have any other other than Traverse City and Holland? Um, overall, let's see if Michigan had any more. No, those were the only two out of the 46. Wisconsin had a bunch as well, Wisconsin and Illinois. So in Wisconsin, where were they? Do you remember? Do you see them on the list? Yes, Wisconsin uh, had none in the top 10, but Brookfield was number 11, Pewaukee was number 14, and Mequon was 15. How about Illinois? Did they have any? Yes. Uh, again, so none in the top 10, but Illinois overall had Highland Park at number 19. Uh, let's see what else they had. Gages Lake at 38. What about uh, Indiana and Ohio? Ohio did pretty well here. Uh, it did have one in the top 10 right at number 10, which was Bay Village. Also, Rocky River at number 12. Uh, and then Indiana might have had... One, Michigan City ranked 32nd, and Council Bluffs ranked 35th. That's in Iowa. Yeah, when you say uh, beach town, I mean, is it the idea of a year-round city that happens to be on water, uh, or is it really kind of a vacation town? Is that, is that what your criteria are for, you know, picking Traverse City and Holland, let's say? This would be somewhere to live. So this is specifically places to live. I'm sure a lot of them are great to visit as well, but to be number one here, we not only look at affordability and weather, but we look at safety, like violent crime rate. Uh, we look at the overall economy. Is it a growing city? Uh, what does unemployment look like? And we look at education and healthcare systems as well. So you really got to have the best of everything to be in either top here. Well, you know, you said you had 46 cities in this beach town, uh, lake um, adjacent category, and you named a lot from, you know, the uh, 
five states that I asked you to come up with numbers for, that doesn't leave many more for places like California and Florida. I would think, you know, the Atlantic and the Pacific Coast would have a lot of communities, wouldn't they? Well, that would be on the ocean category. So we were just talking about... Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. So that that takes care of that. So uh, let me ask you, overall, the lake category, is there any state other than the Midwestern states that we've already talked about where um, the numbers were pretty high? I mean, it could be Colorado. It could be, you know, some inland state without an ocean. Yeah, you named it. So Colorado did really well, and North Carolina did well, too. So North Carolina kind of has the ocean and a lot of lakefront communities, so best of both worlds. Okay, and um, your other categories, um, like this week, did you do any polls this week? What were the subjects this week? Uh, I think Beach Towns was last week. I may be wrong, but what did you do? And I keep saying polls. I know they're not polls. Studies, let's say studies. What were the studies that you did this week? Uh, really runs the gamut. So 4th of July is coming up. We did some of the best places for 4th of July. Uh, we did some of the most uh, patriotic states, uh, also the best cities for recreation now that summer is ramping up. So, you know, you name it, what you're looking for, this is a good destination to search for it. Um, wh- haven't you done uh, 4th of July studies and patriotic studies in previous years so you kind of like update them every year correct okay so um let me just ask you this uh where does michigan rank generally in uh patriotic states in in the list one to 50 where are we i don't think we're in the top 10 or the bottom 10 let me just pull that up Michigan ranked 42nd, actually, so in the bottom 10 out of 50. Wow. Okay. Well, that that's uh, not <laughs> not as good as I thought we'd be. I thought we'd escape the bottom 10. And you, you're quite, we're going to take a break right now, but I want to come back to the subject of 4th of July, most patriotic state, uh, which are the most patriotic, which are the least patriotic, uh, with Jill Gonzalez, who is an analyst with... Wallet Hub in Washington, D.C. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We're back with Jill Gonzalez, analyst with Wallet Hub. We're talking about the most patriotic states in the country. And according to Wallet Hub's latest study, Michigan it doesn't fare too well in terms of being patriotic. We're 42nd out of 50 states. Um, you had a bunch of different criteria for uh, picking patriotic states. Uh, like uh, most veterans, highest number of adult, adults who voted in the last election, the highest volunteer rate, uh, and so forth. Where does Michigan come in in those categories, and who did the best? 
Yeah, so we looked at this two ways, military engagement and civic engagement. And the military engagement is, I think, what pulled down Michigan here. It ranked 44th just for that alone. So when we're looking at things like average military enlistees, veterans, per-civilians, uh, those people that are in the military reserves, not too many in Michigan, especially compared to other states. Uh, the civic engagement is a little bit better when it comes to things like voter turnout in the last presidential election, last primaries. A volunteer rate could be a little bit higher. And even the mundane things like jury, uh, jury duty participation, you know, that, those are things that we looked at as well. Yeah, when I look at uh, the 20 most patriotic states, I think uh, New Hampshire led the pack, didn't they? New Hampshire led the pack, so that was number one overall, especially when it comes, again, to that civic engagement. I think we realize that, especially in big presidential years, uh, how important that state is. And that was followed by Wyoming, Vermont, Utah, and Idaho. What about least uh, patriotic states? What were the ten least? I think Michigan was part of that. Right. So Illinois, right, right before Michigan followed by New Mexico, Indiana, Connecticut, Texas, West Virginia, California, New York, and New Jersey. So, like, New Jersey is the least patriotic? Right. Well, I'm a little surprised at, like, Texas uh, being (laughs) down near the bottom. Yeah, most people are. So Texas did really well when it comes to its military engagement, but when it comes to its civic engagement, uh, it actually ranked second worst. So, you know, for things like voter turnout, it has one of the lowest voter turnout rates in the country, uh, also one of the lowest volunteer rates. So, you know, when it comes to uh, military participation, that's pretty high, but other types of uh, volunteering is relatively low. You know, when you talk about volunteer rate, what is this like volunteer, like for civic organizations and so forth? Yeah, any type of volunteering. It could be religious affiliated. It could be... Uh, for types of civics groups, um, any type of nonprofit work. So we look at volunteer rate. It's essentially how many people in the state volunteer. Typically that's around 20 to 25 percent. Volunteer hours, uh, and if the AmeriCorps and Peace Corps volunteers, how many of them there are per capita, too. Yeah, uh, when you look at highest volunteer rate, Utah, I think, rates number one, right? Yeah, Utah is consistently number one. We said most states hover around that 20 to 25% mark. Utah's up at around 60%. You think that's part of the Mormon culture? I mean, basically the Mormons believe in, you know, um, volunteer, you know, service and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. I think the two are very highly correlated. Uh, Where does Michigan rank on that list, volunteer? Michigan's more middle of the pack when it comes to volunteering. It ranked around 30th. So what are some of the other subjects that you studied that have come out in the last couple of weeks and and maybe you have in the pipeline that are going to come out? Well, you know, as things heat up with this election season, we will certainly look into uh, different types of political issues um, and see how each one of them affects the states. You know, even when we're looking at things uh, like tariffs or something like that, I mean, that affects every state differently, depending on your exports, depending on your imports. So we'll try to get to the bottom of that more financially. Yeah, um, I think you have to leave us a little early for another engagement, right? 
That's right, yeah, unfortunately. Well, listen, we really appreciate your time um, and your explanation. How many analysts do you have at Wallet Hub? We have a team of 20 right now. Wow. How long have you been there? I'm coming up on five years. Gee. Well, thank you so much, Jill Gonzalez. You've been terrific. Um, Wallet Hub, Washington, D.C., uh, studies on a nationwide basis of important issues, where Michigan ranks. And we ought to be proud. We're number one, Beachtown, Traverse City, and number four, I think, Holland. Is that correct? Correct. Thank you, Jill Gonzalez. Wallet Hub. Anytime, thanks. So, uh, I can just say that uh, when we look at all these studies, um, we should take some pride here in Michigan that we've done as well in these studies as we have, but we obviously could be doing better. Uh, Again, when we look at patriotic states, uh, I'm just going to repeat, The most patriotic state is New Hampshire, second Wyoming, third Vermont, fourth Utah, um, sixth is Wisconsin, uh, seventh Alaska, eighth South Carolina, ninth Missouri, tenth Minnesota, eleventh North Dakota, twelfth Montana, thirteenth Maine, fourteenth Virginia, 15th Colorado, 16th Arizona, 17th Washington, 18th Oregon, 19th Alabama, and 20th Florida. So Michigan uh, is down the list. Remember, we don't have many military installations here in this state. We are very low on military bases uh, compared with a lot of other states, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that we don't have the military population. You look at a place like Pensacola, Florida, which is a retirement community for naval uh, commanders and naval personnel uh, after decades of service in the U.S. Navy. That would uh, really boost Florida, I think, uh, up the charts in terms of what they, uh, where they rank among the states. I'm just going to mention one thing more that happened this week that relates a little bit to the study by Wallet Hub, but also to other political events, and that is the U.S. Census. Um, there is this issue of whether or not a citizenship question ought to be included in the U.S. Census. In other words, census takers would ask everybody they're uh, talking to uh, beginning in April of next year are you a U.S. citizen? And there was blowback against that idea by a lot of interest groups, particularly uh, Spanish-speaking, who believed that it would be intimidating uh, to a lot of people and they wouldn't cooperate and they wouldn't answer the census and there would be an undercount. Um, Obviously, a major portion of the undocumented uh, resident uh, population in this country is Spanish-speaking, is Hispanic. So the citizenship question had been asked consistently by the U.S. census takers all the way up to 1950, but it was dropped 
until it was resurrected by the Trump administration Commerce Department for the upcoming census. And uh, this week, in a decision that came out, I think the same day as the reapportionment gerrymandering decision that we talked about earlier in the program, U.S. Supreme Court said we do not think that the Commerce Department should throw out, uh, excuse me, should utilize a uh, citizenship question. We think they should throw it out. Uh, They haven't given us a good rationale. Their reason for doing so is contrived. So uh, it's not over. The Trump administration may take another crack at this, but it's another important issue that remains to be resolved between now and next year. We'll be back in a couple of minutes with our next guest. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back with State Senator Roger Victory, who is a Republican from Hudsonville. And Senator Victory, I want you to describe to us what your district consists of. I think it's Ottawa County, maybe a little bit of some other adjacent county. But welcome to the Political Insider, Senator Roger Victory. Well, good morning. No, I, I appreciate No, The district is the 30th, and it actually includes just Ottawa County. Uh, uh, formerly, it did have some other uh, Kent County, but as Iowa County continues to grow, it's one of the fastest-growing counties in the state of uh, Michigan. Uh, so the district just includes uh, Iowa County. So let's say uh, we do have the Lakeshore communities of Holland and Grand Haven, but also uh, a vast agricultural state. In fact, uh, I just kind of pulled off the road here uh, to do the interview, and I'm parked outside of one huge turkey complex. So I can naturally hear the turkeys in the background and the, and the turkey <laughs> operation while we're doing the interview here. So wow. That's the uniqueness of uh, Iowa County. Blueberry production is the second most diverse agricultural production county, not just in the state of Michigan, but in the whole United States. No kidding. A taste of Ottawa County. Wow. Uh, you've also got some great ice cream over there, Hudsonville ice cream, right? That's right, and it is a good city. Now, with the warmer weather, hopefully we can increase some of the sales because uh, it has been a little bit, uh, you know, dampening the ice cream sales with the cool, wet weather. But as the 4th of July uh, you know, holiday comes up with you know, potential high of 80s, uh, upper 80s, that's good Hudsonville uh, ice cream consumption weather. Yeah, before you were in the Senate, you were at least two terms, maybe three in the State House of Representatives, right? That, that that's correct. That was term limited out, and in the 88th district, that was the eastern side of Ottawa County. So uh, that was term limited out and took on the opportunity for the Senate, and uh, was a successful, and now serving all of Ottawa County. And that had a little piece of uh, Kent, did it? Uh, nope, that also was a, that form, that district formerly did have some of Kent County, but that too got moved just strictly uh, in the latest uh, redistricting, uh, strictly uh, uh, Ottawa County. So okay, you, you're so, totally Ottawa County. Okay, well now, right. yeah, now you are um, on a bunch of very important committees, including some transportation committees, um, appropriations, subcommittees, and so forth. Can you tell, uh, tell us, yeah, tell us, uh, what are all your committees? So uh, I chair. Uh, sub, uh, 
chair of the Subcommittee uh, of Agricultural Appropriations of the MDAR budget and also vice chair on the policy. Uh, I serve on the transportation appropriation side as vice chair and also serve on the policy side of the transportation. Uh, vice chair of general government on the appropriation side and also uh, DEQ and DNR on the appropriation side. So a lot of the quality of life areas, you know, DEQ, DNR, agriculture, but also you know, look at general government that controls all the budgets of the operations of it and some the transportation, which is uh, always uh, have a degree in logistics and uh, was found besides being a farmer, uh, transportation is always a, a key interest uh, in my background and having a degree in that too. So I'll bring that uh, to the portfolio. Yes, Senator, uh, as you know, uh, we have been consumed during the first six months of 2019 with the battle cry, fix the damn roads, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And uh, Part of fix the damn roads is keep the damn roads fixed after we fix them, if we ever fix yep. them. Uh, and I believe that you are considering something in one of your transportation subcommittees or committees, uh, or you've come up with this idea on your own or whatever it is that involves uh, using a substitute for salt. Um, on yep. our roads, uh, can you explain exactly what this is? Because I think it's really fascinating. I think people want to hear about this. Yeah, well, it is a it's a product that uh, we have readily available in the state of Michigan. Uh, it's uh, utilizing some of the secondary uh, product uh, from the beet industry. So uh, Michigan is one of the top uh, beet producers. Uh, it produces a sugar, but some of the byproduct is a uh, juice component, which has a uh, very strong de-icing component to it. And also there's some other characteristics to it. And uh, other states, Minnesota, which also grows a fair amount of beets, has, has already implemented this as a component uh, to help uh, with the de-icing. Uh, City of Frankenmuth has already uh, implemented this. And uh, so what we're actually looking at is not a total removal of the, uh, of the salt component, but how do we make uh, lessen the requirement of salt and also lessen the frequency of application of salt. So what the proposal would be, a pilot program, is to actually encapsulate or treat the salt with the beet juice, which actually gives almost a, it's a higher de-icing component to it, but also it has a little more of an adhesive nature to it, so you can put the application on a roadway for a, a snow event and also have a longer uh, a lifespan of it. So we uh, may be able to get, to get by with one application instead of two or three, and then also have the adverse environmental uh, impact of uh, the salt, which we actually have here in Ottawa County, because I highlighted before specialized agricultural uh, production. We've had some real issue with blueberry production with the high salinity and other, uh, or the, just even the salt dust affecting um, that valuable crop of blueberry, blueberries. So the, the key is uh, less corrosive nature. And you know, we're talking about once we repair the roads, some of our overpasses and those, that steel structure salt is uh, probably the one number one deterioration factor when it comes to some of those structures. You know, we blame high use, we blame you know, trucks at times, but uh, the corrosive nature of salt is truly detrimental, detrimental to our roadways. Okay, let me make sure I understand. Um, I thought I heard you say you mix the uh, sugar beet juice in with salt. The, yes. I that, mean, in that, other that words... Is, that, that's, that's the justice. Now, you can 
can also go with this, the pure beet juice application, too, but uh, that is a little more expensive. And that, that also uh, is part of the research doing. That could be used for especially our high-value um, high infrastructure, so a certain bridge structure or elevated roadway. That could be a part of the proposal, too. I know there has been used, but for uh, a more of a broad-based application, we would be using a combination of both, combination of both. Yeah. So, in, in, in other words, um, it's not a cheaper substitute for salt. In fact, it's maybe uh, more expensive, but the trade-off, sure, sure. the trade-off would be it's less corrosive and yeah. it would uh, perhaps save money in the long run uh, if it means less deterioration of mm-hmm. uh, Michigan's infrastructure, particularly bridges. Is that correct? Exactly. And uh, you know what the cost of certain bridge projects is. It seems it would be even a, a county bridge project, uh, you, you don't do that for under $10 million today. It just seems to be, uh, I know in our county we have a number of different bridges that are in need of replacement, and it's usually a very high price uh, component. I know that we have, uh, getting a little bit in the weeds of things, but uh, we have a program to repair our local bridges in the state of Michigan. We allocate $40 million to that every year, and yet the need is over a third of a billion dollars. So, uh, yeah, we're woefully behind. So, you know, we have a funding issue, but how do we add additional life, uh, you know, how do we expand the life of those assets? And if you can, it's you know, add another 10 years to a uh, $10 million bridge uh, uh, project, that goes Yeah. um, Where did this idea come from? Did it come from the sugar beet industry itself? Did it come from the Department of Transportation? Did it come from, uh, you know, Ottawa County farmers like Roger Victory (laughs) or what? Well, some of this came back to uh, the first exposure I had to this was when they did a complete reconstruction of the S curve in Grand Rapids, right through the heart of the city. That was uh, 131. That was probably done, oh, that probably goes back 10 to 15 years ago. And I just recall that uh, when it, I, you know, this was a multi-million dollar project placing the whole elevated freeway system through the second largest city in the state of Michigan. Well, one, uh, and I don't, and so one way to spend uh, spend the lifespan of that was using a kind of a beet juice or some alternative uh, de-icing component that would be applied to it. Uh, and so I thought, that's a smart idea because we're spending a tremendous amount of money on this huge elevated freeway system. And I always get frustrated when I see all that corrosion. I know how corrosive, you know, just on my own vehicle. So that was kind of uh, the seeds that were planted there. Then I noticed what the state of Minnesota was doing. And then I had some... Uh, uh, read a little bit up on what Franklin Booth was doing, so I kind of uh, approached, uh, and I know the uh, Michigan, the sugar beet uh, uh, industry was working on that. So, and I said, can see what's what we can do, and uh, kind of uh, a pilot program because uh, that's uh, uh, just don't want to flip it all. There might be some unintended consequences in such a program, but let's get this initiated, and then uh, it's part of our whole transportation conversation that we're currently having in Lansing. Yeah, what well, what kind of reaction do you get from your colleagues? in the Senate. Uh, actually, uh, very like interesting. Yeah, because it's like uh, outside the box thinking. These are some of the you know bring some solutions in because uh, obviously what we've been currently been doing hasn't been successful. So um, willing to take a look at some of the uh, you know what is the cost of that factor and uh, uh, implementing this. So basically, you know, good questions of uh, you know, what's the upfront cost 
and uh, interested to see how the results. And I said, well, you can always talk to the community of Frankenmuth because that's already been implemented in that uh, community. Well, we'll hope you'll be successful. This really sounds fascinating. Uh, something I think most people have no idea is going on. And your industry and uh, resourcefulness is to be commended. Thank you very much, Senator Roger Vickery from the 30th District, Ottawa County, for being our guest on The Political Insider.